Hello again, friends, to another round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. Maybe like the Super Duper Catholic Catechesis Podcast. Maybe I'll edit that. What do you think about that? That might be a little overkill. I love how I say it, though. The Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. Friends, here we are. We're at the end of this series on the simple teachings of the revealed God. Uh, again, a throwback to the first round of my podcast. This is kind of what I what I did back in the day when we were in the midst of the COVID. And I was doing some of these teachings online on Facebook Live. And so the audio was poo. And so this is a little bit more of a revision, a upgrade of audio quality. And I hope it is easy to listen to. I hope the teaching is equally as profound today as it was then. I hope it was then as well. Um, But again, this is just awesome. I love, love, love doing this stuff. I love teaching. Uh, I love it, love it, love it. It's hard to teach these days. It's hard to get people together. People are busy. People are kind of stuck in in their houses for whatever reasons. And um, I find this to be one way. Uh, if If I can't see them, at least, at least I can talk to them still. So thank you for tuning in today. I appreciate you as my listener. If you appreciate this, go ahead and share it with a friend. That'd be awesome. Super awesome. I think this also might be picked up by the Diocese of Tulsa, maybe some of these previous uh, episodes as well. I'm really not sure how it all worked, but I think they're going to maybe do a little bit of adver- advertising there for me, so that'll be nice. All righty, my friends. We're diving into the last round here. Last final talk here on the simple teachings with the revealed God. We've kind of covered a lot of ground. So we talked about God revealing himself, him stepping out, taking the initiative, and doing this out of love. Uh, And this is now being carried forward through history by the body of Christ, the church. We learned that the key attributes of God are his mightiness, otherness, his grandeur, as well as his goodness and love. It was kind of the two big ones there. We get a glimpse of God from creation. It's super cool that God put a stamp of his own existence into what he created, and that's kind of what all artists do. And God is that that original artist, the writer of a beautiful story that we have not yet arrived to the conclusion, but we know how it ends in the victory of the Lamb of God. We dove into the roots of the Trinity from the Old Testament, from the New Testament. We dove into Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. That's kind of his, his, I don't know about truest identity, because his identity is beyond kind of what we can imagine. But that's, that's the basic way that he revealed himself, and that the Father revealed him as well. And then we kind of had some of these great stories throughout history, the battles, the saints, the sinners, the triumphs. All these things happening, all these people being raised up to bring about clarity about who Jesus Christ truly is. And specifically the last time when we talked about the error of modernism, what revelation truly is. What revelation truly is. It's not some some facts, some information from beyond, and we treat that over here. And only if we have faith do we do we treat that. But but with our minds, we only we keep that at arm's length. No, it's a, it's a reality that extends to everything. Extends to everything. Our faith gives us these lenses through which we look at everything. Doesn't mean we we throw out our reason. In fact, our reason becomes more pristine um, through the cleansing 
beautifying power of Jesus Christ. And so today, we will conclude by talking about St. Thomas Aquinas. And we will do so uh, addressing uh, one of the ways of that he used to talk about God. And he kind of said, hey, this is really the only way. And then also with a story. But before we get into that, let's be into the prayer. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. We adore you. You are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. You are the teacher of all teachers. And we ask that your words, your, your thoughts, your truth be on my lips, that it be in the hearts and ears of those who are tuning into this podcast. We ask for the intercession of St. Thomas Aquinas, the, the angelic doctor, the angelic teacher, the one who peered so profoundly into the mystery of God that it totally transformed his mind, heart, existence, and even his teaching. May we have that same love of the truth of God and the truth of what God created. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Very good, very good. So I would wager that most of you have heard of St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas is in the, he was from the Order of Preachers. The Order of Preachers was established by St. Dominic in, oh, I forget exactly the years, the 1100s maybe, into the 1200s. Today that I'm recording is actually the feast day of St. Dominic. So St. Dominic, pray for us. St. Thomas Aquinas came into that that tradition of preaching. Uh, he took a particular intellectual bent on that, as is necessary. St. Dominic really put a heavy focus on study so that the, the preaching of these friars, of these preachers, would be more profound, more deep, more real, more, more, uh, more honest and integral, rather than kind of a proclamation that doesn't have the substantial backing of a good intellect and intellectual foundation. And that would be kind of more like, oh, what do you call it? <laughs> you know, just kind of like <laughs> saying a bunch of stuff and maybe it, hopefully it sounds good. No, you got to have a good foundation. Now, when he was growing up, it's, he's got a kind of a cool story. And I don't have a whole lot to say today, so I'm going to get a little bit into him. Um, though what I have to say is significant. I remember my dad saying, I think he listened to this, and he said this was maybe one of the better ones in this series here. So hang with me, hang with me. But he's got such a cool background. He grew up in a family that had big plans for Thomas. They're like, holy, holy smokes, this guy's a genius. And he's part of our family, which is awesome. We know what we'll do. We'll, we'll navigate his future. He's going to be the the abbot of a monastery. And in fact, we found the monastery for him. And all right, Thomas, it's time to go. Go ahead, join the monastery and be the abbot. But Thomas was Firmly against it, he was going to join the Order of Preachers, the Dominicans. Now his family hated that. They didn't like that. Benedictines could have stuff, not individually, but communally. They had these big monasteries, which had these big land holdings, which brought in big wealth, which caused a number of problems back then. And so the Dominicans were on the other extreme. They were trying to restore the idea of holiness. Benedictines certainly can be holy. I'm not saying that. At the time, there were just a few problems. And they needed some reform, and they got the reform. We have St. Bernard, etc. Uh, St. Dominic was going to bring about reformation of, of the church at that time in a different way. Through being a deeply committed member of the church, unlike Martin Luther later on, 
and also entering into a profound witness of poverty, like St. Francis, who was a contemporary of his. And the family was like, no, 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 Thomas, you're a brother, you know, you're coming from a wealthy family, we're, we're going to make sure you're rich, so how about this, we're just going to capture you and put you into a castle. And that's what they did. And they kept him there, they kept him there. And they were so th- disturbed in their mind and in their thinking that they thought that one other way that they could um, deviate Thomas from his plan was by uh, finding a woman of ill repute, a prostitute, taking her and throwing her into that room in the castle that Thomas had been locked in. And she got thrown in there. And immediately, without hesitation, he responded so virtually, virtuously in this moment. He, Though it's kind of a strange virtue, but I think it's an important one for our day and age. He went over to the fireplace. He pulled out uh, an iron rod that was just burning. On, it was blazing on fire. Obviously, all caught on fire, but it, it was glowing hot. And he waved it in his air, and he was running at her and yelling at her, Get out! Get out! I don't need this here. And so, so she ran out like a crazy woman. She's like, "Get me out of this guy, out of this place here. This guy's nuts." And that's Saint Thomas Aquinas and the great profound virtue of his chastity. It is said that angels had visited him at that time to give him a particular cord of chastity, a little string belt that he would wear. And those who are part of the confraternity of angelic warfare which i am a member of and i have brought other people into the the confraternity we wear something of that sort something that we wear around our our waist or a medal some people prefer to wear the medal just to kind of symbolize that we're under his patronage Uh, also there's a blessing there to kind of strengthen us with that virtue and then we have a few commitments of prayer every day anyways that's getting too off the the path for us here today in school he was a genius but people didn't realize it at the time uh, they kind of thought he was a little bit weird because he'd have these outbursts you know the teacher would be asking something asking something and he would just kind of shout out the answer in maybe a different way and so they called him the dumb ox <laughs> uh, the dumb ox but uh, his teacher saint albert the great would say something to the effect of one day this ox's bellow will be heard across the world. Because he was a profound genius. He was at the crest of the golden age of theology. So this is the time when the church fathers have already kind of brought forth a profound understanding and explanation of the faith after Jesus. And, And now the church is beginning to unpack this. At this time, it was a little bit unique because they were rediscovering some documents. One of those was a document or a series of documents uh, from an author who came before Christ. He was before Christ. His name was Aristotle, a great philosopher, certainly had his heirs, but he also had some profound, prodigious truths that he brought clarity to and taught. And Thomas Aquinas found these, along with Albert, his teacher, and he absorbed them. He absorbed what was true and cast out what was ill and what was erring. And he used the truth to describe more clearly the world, what humanity is, and how Jesus Christ saved. Well, obviously, when we're talking about Jesus Christ, 
we're talking about theology there, but some of the categories of Aristotle helped to put words to the explanation of who Jesus is as revealed. So it's kind of very interesting. So he condensed, he synthesized, he systematized um, all the different truths that he had access to and brought forth a very clear teaching. Um, And the summit of his teaching we know as the Summa Theologiae or Summa Theologica, depending on your, your version of that. Uh, which is like a big old fat series of volumes there that just kind of walk you through kind of a Q&A style. It's pretty incredible through the, the teachings of of Thomas Aquinas. Uh, really, really profound. So as we're talking about the revealed God and trying to have access to who he is and understand the Lord better, there is what's called an analogy. Thomas Aquinas asked the question at the very beginning, You know, can man really talk about God? Remember what we said earlier? One of the attributes of God is his otherness, his beyondness. And and Thomas Aquinas certainly clearly understood that. And so he needed to ask the question like, okay, God is beyond us. And is he so far beyond us that we really can't even talk about him? You know, that's a kind of legitimate question. Like, um, is he going to love me like my mom and dad love me? The answer is no. His love is so far beyond that kind of love. Even though mom and dad might love us uh, so very sincerely, God's love is different. It's bigger. It's greater. In order to talk about God, Thomas highlights there are two extremes, which are legitimate at some times, but when we talk about God... They are not. So, first off, we can think about an ultra-sameness, an ultra-sameness, a super-similarity, where when we say John is a man, we mean that in the exact literal same way that Mike is a man. When we say that uh, a tree is green, we mean that exactly in the same way that a bush is green. So that's the ultra-sameness. It's exactly the same. We're not using any analogy, simile, metaphor. It's just super-duper the same. On the other extreme, there's an absolute difference. This is kind of like a bank shot and a bank deposit. Bank is describing shot and deposit here but in two totally, totally, totally different ways. (laughs) There's no, no similarity here at all. It's an ultra difference. So when we're talking about God, we're going to use our human language because that's the only language we have. We don't have the ability to communicate in angelic languages. We don't have the ability to communicate with something beyond words and, and our human understanding. So we're going to use our human understanding to understand God, even though it's going to be in a limited way. We kind of have permission from to do this because God, as he's coming down to our level to reveal himself to us, he reveals himself to be good, kind, just, etc., now again, when we think, let's, let's talk about his justice. Let's talk about his justice. Absolutely, God is just. But when I say 
Paul Sean is just and God is just, I'm not talking about being just in the same way. There is a way that God is just that I am not. Even if I was a perfectly just person here in the world, my justice would be at the human level and his justice would be at the divine level. So we might even call this like a a super justice. God is super just. You could use this for whatever attribute of God. God is super generous, super good, super kind, super faithful, super, you know, super God, you know, all these different things. So that's something we got to recognize. We have to recognize that when we're using our human language to talk about God, it's not in the same way. It's not in the same way because God is beyond. He's beyond our human understanding. Even though he revealed himself in a way that humans can understand. So the other extreme here would be to say that there's a, an absolute infinite, infinite, infinite distance, so profoundly distant from us that whatever we say is just going to be wrong. It's just going to be wrong. So that's kind of saying like, Father Sean is just and God is just, but the way that God is just is nothing nothing like the way that I'm just, you're just, anyone else in this world could be just. We cannot experience anything like the justice that God has. And, you know, that's just not the case. <laughs> you know, again, God revealed himself to, beyond, to be beyond us, but he also communicates himself to us in a real way through our human language. So we got to watch out for these extremes that God is just exactly like I am. I can describe him with my understanding in a way that is absolutely true, that leaves nothing to the imagination, that leaves nothing to mystery, that leaves nothing to his beyondness. I describe him, and in the way that I describe him, he is. It's not right, because he is beyond. Now, also, we watch out, I'm kind of repeating this again, we watch out for the extreme of saying he's so far beyond that there is nothing, nothing, nothing that we can say that indicates anything about him. We really can't say anything about God, and therefore we must just stay in the silence, stay in the silence. So the truth of it is, is that indeed we can follow the example of Holy Scripture, of our tradition, to say things that are true about God, but they just might lack the fullness of the truth about God. That what we say about God and his goodness and his justice and his mercy and his love might be very true, but in a way above us. But in a, in a way above us. And when we're specifically talking about this analogical way of speaking about God, which is the only way that we can truly uh, speak about God, should we decide to speak about God, which I encourage everyone to do so, we, we have to recognize that the dissimilarity is infinitely greater than the similarity. The similarity is real. It doesn't mean it's not real. When I, The way that I understand good has a true similarity with the way that God is good. It's because God's goodness established the goodness that I know and my mind can understand it. But there's so much more. And in fact, that so much, 
that deeper reality of goodness that is beyond my limitations of understanding, it's infinitely beyond. It's infinitely beyond. So yes, we can talk about God, but yes, we must recognize the poverty of our human understanding, the poverty of, of our human speech. It is real. It does communicate something that is true, but there is so much more. And the, the tr truth about God is infinitely beyond the, any sense of similarity that we can come up with our human language. Um, this is the idea that my dad liked so much. He's like, geez, I never, don't think I really realized that God was so far beyond us. It's like, well, you know, he was around before we were. He doesn't have a body. His mind is his will, is his love, is his mercy, is his power, et cetera, et cetera. You know, God is, God is one, and he's not complicated. He doesn't have parts. We can't really understand God. Uh, God is, is there. He is. He is who is, right? So far beyond us. And it's just pretty dang incredible that he comes down and loves us. So that's the first thing that I want to say that Thomas Aquinas brings a beautiful teaching to, to allow us the dignity to speak about God, even though we must maintain the humility when we do so. The second thing I would like to share about St. Thomas Aquinas here at the end is, you know, from this, the greatest theologian perhaps the world has ever seen, quite likely, well, at the end of his writing, which is getting close to the end of his life, and he has written so much. Let me describe to you how much he wrote. <laughs> he was dictating to secretaries who were full-time writing. Not only that, but he was excuse me, he was dictating to multiple secretaries at the same time. Can you just imagine that? It's like, okay, I got John, Bob, and Mike here. John, here's a couple paragraphs for you. Then I'm going to go back to Mike. And then I don't remember what other name I said. You know, the, the three of them are kind of working together. They're, they're just cranking out the text. They're cranking out. Maybe he's writing on the letter to the Romans over here and something about philosophy over there and another little thing about rhetoric or a commentary on Aristotle. And he's doing all these things. He is writing so, so, so much. It is nuts how much he has written. And it is incredible, the depth of his writing. It's also super cool uh, that he continues. I mean, he has all kinds of resources at his fingertips. That is to say, in his mind. Uh, he quotes these people just out of the blues. Like everything he read, he must have had a, a photographic memory. Um, but he used that photographic memory in with a profound intelligence to bring forth the radiance of truth, which generally you don't see in people who have a photographic memory. They're going to be smart people, but they're not able to synthesize as he did. One day, he had an encounter with God that was so deep. I don't have the words to describe it. And the best way to get a sense of the profoundness of this moment was that he stopped writing. He stopped writing. He just, things that were not done, you know, the his great summit, his crown of all of his work was the Summa Theologia. He didn't finish it. His disciples had to finish it later. But after this experience with God, he was just overwhelmed 
by who God was that he just couldn't write anything again. His friend, his secretary, Brother Reginald, uh, came up to him and asked, come on, you know, you're a genius. Why don't you keep writing? What's going on? And Thomas replied, I can write no more. I have seen things that make my writings like straw. Like straw. You know, like a little piece of hay. A little, little piece of hay. Hardly anything. That is the difference. That is the difference between us and God. God is so far beyond us. And if we get a taste of that, anything in this world is going to just melt away. Even if it's something that is so huge to building up the kingdom of God, it's going to be like nothing. It's going to be like nothing compared with the actual presence of God. You know, uh, do you believe that? that? That in God's presence, we would forget about all of our obstacles and trials and sufferings of this world? We're aiming at heaven, brothers and sisters. We're aiming to be in union with a God so far beyond us. And we're aiming at that union, yes, in heaven, but also here and now. That's incredible. To receive Holy Communion, that's that's a taste of heaven. And when that veil is revealed, thanks be to God for that veil, because if we didn't have that veil, we'd be blown away. Uh, we'd just be, you know, no one could live. But but Lord prepares us for this beatific vision, this vision of his absolute glory, not in the glory. Not in the way that we understand it, but in a way that far surpasses our understanding of glory. Thanks for tuning in again through this podcast. I hope you have appreciated it. It's been a joy for me. I look forward to being with you again. Adios amigos. May God bless you, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Bye.